You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Uh, it's everything. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, I think enjoy it for what it is. It's not always just about the fish and that's one of the things we try to do with the magazine as well that it's it's not just about the fish it's the places it takes us to it's the people i've met along the way um and when it comes to a fishing point of view i think it's just take your time don't rush through everything be it a spay cast be it reading a hatch be it watching a fish rise um all of those take your time and enjoy every single minute of it. it it's just such a, a great pastime and we're so lucky to be able to do it I think and like you said at the very beginning in the introduction the places it's taken me to from Venezuela to wherever like you say New Zealand Australia um, it's just taken me to so many amazing places that I'd never have gone to if I didn't fly fish Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Hey everyone, this is Nate from theflycrate.com. I just wanted to thank you again for listening to the podcast and want to let you know about our new membership option called the Mix and Match subscription. For $19.95 a month, you will receive $30 of the Fly Crate store credit. So you're getting for $19.95 30 bucks to spend on our site and you will be able to choose hundred percent of what you want. And each and every month you'll receive those flies. Anyway, go to the flycrate.com and find the icon with the $30 store credit. Well, this week on the podcast, we've got Pete Tigis, editor in chief of fly culture magazine from the UK. Uh, he used to run eat, sleep, fish, uh, guided for 16, 17, going on 17 years now. Really dialed in guy. Great to chat with him. Uh, we'll chat with Pete up next. Uh, top 10 cities for downloads. Thanks, folks, for listening so much in the following cities. Number one this week was Easton, PA. Zurich, Switzerland was next. Hamburg, New York, followed by Calgary, Alberta. Then Indianapolis, Indiana. St. Francisville, Louisiana. Kamloops, British Columbia. Kelowna, British Columbia. Lansing, Michigan, and Kirkland, Washington. We're going to take you over to Devon, UK. We want to welcome to the program Pete Tigess. Now, Pete is based on the River Taw. He runs Fly Culture Magazine, is editor-in-chief, uh, was a fly fishing guide throughout uh, the UK. He's fished in New Zealand, the US. Eat, sleep, fish has always been his motto. Pete, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for having me along. I'm a big fan of listening to it myself, and I'm honored to be appearing on it, too. Well, that's that's exciting. We, we appreciate that. I, hey, I, I want to, then you're probably familiar with kind of the format of the show. I always, at the beginning, Pete, like to kind of take it back to your roots and figure out how you came to discover fly fishing. Uh, how did that journey start for you? It was a interesting one. I grew up um, doing sort of gear fishing, really, as as many youngsters would, and you know played a lot of sport and um, over here cricket and football in the winter or soccer, as as you might call it. And we would do in between that gear fishing for carp and um, bits and pieces like that. And then some friends invited me along to this was thirty oh, odd years ago now, I would guess invited me to have a crack at fly fishing and 
that was it really that was the rocky road and it was on a pond catching stocked rainbow trout and i absolutely loved it i was utterly clueless about it um but i had a new stillwater fishery opened up near where i lived which was fortuitous and it was i guess one of those signs that it was the route that i needed to go and that was it and i was there the owner of the the pond would let me in at six o'clock in the morning to go fish and and then he'd sort of lock me in and then let me out a little bit later and then i discovered rivers and and that was really it for me mark once i discovered um fishing for trout in rivers that that was it you know that was the ultimate as far as i was concerned and and that's where my path really continued to go to this day really Maybe speak to um, the fact that it's a great place to start. I think for any youngster, any newcomer to fly fishing, if you can start on a still water that maybe has some stalkers in it that uh, kind of whets the appetite. And uh, let's face it, if if you do get out at first and you don't get into anything, sometimes it's a little harder. But I think as a, as someone starting out in the sport, speak to that. What, is still water a good place in your mind to start? I think you're exactly right. And it's easy to control line and everything else. Um, well, I guess we'll talk about my guiding that we actually taught beginners on rivers. But historically, um, Stillwaters were really in the UK, the place where you would learn your trade. And then you might go on to bigger stock water reservoirs, not the sort of size that you, you get over there. But, you know, a thousand acres, two thousand. I think our biggest is about three, three and a half thousand acres. And you would fish those and then rivers may be somewhere else that you may venture a little bit further down the line um but it seems interesting that we had a big spike in the 70s and 80s where a lot of these big reservoirs opened and we're getting the people who were on that spike getting a little bit older not fish fishing so much now and it's interesting with social media um and as we all know social media has good sides and it has not so good sides of it but i think people seeing that um that you can go fish for wild fish in wild places which is not the easiest thing to do in our tiny little country but um there are places and lots of places that you can go and i think people sometimes are bypassing the the traditional stock still water small still water for that that having been said they still have a really important uh, part to play in people's development as anglers but i'm seeing more people now venture more towards streams the younger guys and girls coming through are going more towards the rivers which has been an interesting one to see well from personal experience i i, I learned on Stillwater, but and i i'm in a Stillwater area and it's quite you know the camelops region is, is pretty well known but I, when i get to wade a river Trust me, it's just, there's something that takes you back to the roots, and I, I, I totally get why people would, would go that route. If you had to pick a couple of people that had really influenced your fly fishing, Pete, is there somebody, um, you know, a guide or like a mentor um, that kind of helped you along the way and you learned from? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a few, and this will come as no surprise, I'm sure, to many of your listeners. Um, John Girak and his mm -hmm. writing and how he looked at fishing, how he represented many of us who were out fishing as well, really well. And I think the UK sometimes gets this sort of stuffy image of fly fishing. And we're not all like that. We do wear jeans, we wear baseball caps, and, you know, we, we live for our fishing. And the way he wrote about it deeply affected me. 
Um, and you know, his new books just come out and I'm sort of rationing myself bits and pieces of it now so that I don't read it in one go. I think I probably read all of his books four or five times because I've got so much out of them. And he reflected to me why I fish and why I like it so much. Um, I, I worked for a guide as I started, I was a full-time guide for 16 years and I started working for a guy called Nick Hart, who we looked at the American model as of guiding as well and he was a great influence on me but one of the most actually is my wife emma and her approach again to fishing and how she just enjoys it for what it is she doesn't mourn the loss of a fish she only really salmon fishes um and she loves spay casting absolutely loves spay casting and we were out yesterday she dragged me to the river yesterday and the way she looks at it is just so refreshing and I, I really enjoy that so yeah she's a, a a big influence for me yeah maybe speak to that a little bit what's it like to have your your life partner um so vested in in the pastime as well that's got to be pretty special it's been great um she's been probably seriously salmon she doesn't she always said to me that she couldn't match my passion for trout um, but she came on a, a salmon fishing trip to Scotland to fish the Deverin with me. And that was it, really, as far as she was concerned. And it was really, she wrote a piece in the first fly culture about it. And it was about early on putting together a series of casts that were good ones and adding to that. And that was a part of it. And fish happened to be a really happy byproduct of it. And she's a lot better than she thinks she is. Um, and she used to run our, the office side of our fishing school as well, our guiding business. Um, so she'd always sort of understood by immersion so deeply. My, my life, I'm sure, is like yours and, and many of the listeners, that it's so deeply entrenched in fishing. And, and everything for me revolves around my love for fishing, um, be it the friends and, and what I'm doing every single day, really. But, but having somebody that we can say, come on, let's go down for a few hours. We go take the dog and just enjoy it. And if we catch a fish, our river, our home river has a run of salmon and sea run brown trout that we call sea trout. We don't get many salmon. Um, but when we do, they're a, a special moment and those hours on the water are worth it just for that little pool when that line comes to life. And I know she still has caught plenty of salmon now and she still shakes with excitement when she's released a fish again. We're chatting today with Pete Tigess of Devon, UK. Now we're going to talk all things Fly Culture Magazine in just a minute. I always like to ask you a few random questions so we can get a feel for your neck of the woods and get to know you a little bit. You ready for that? Hit me. All right. Let's talk music. When you're driving to your beat or where you're driving to uh, your fishing spot, what are you listening to? I'm really, as I've got older, it's really varied. And I grew up with, uh, you may know, or you may not know, a group called The Specials. Um, who were hugely influential in the late 70s, early 80s, and even so now as well. And they're a fabulous group, but I might have on in the car anything from Crosby, Stills and Nash to an L.A. band called Maze. Um, we have a great little group um, over here called Elbow, who are lyrically are so strong. And again, similar to sort of Girac, paint a beautiful picture of lyrically and musically but it can be absolutely anything from the beach boys to anything i, I 
just have found and my eyes have been opened or my ears have been opened by my daughter who who um listens to absolutely everything and and we're lucky our um and my good fishing friend perry um who works on the magazine he's our artistic director he was guitarist in the cure for many years so hmm. i was always sort of aware of them but now listen to them a little bit more so but he's more interested in talking about fishing i have to say he's gonna be a little bit hurt here you didn't name the cure right out of the gate <laughs> i guess so yeah absolutely one go-to fly pattern that you can't live without. So if you had to pick one fly out of your box to fish with, what would it be? Well, if I was thinking along those lines, I'd probably think of what's a big hatch that's going to occur a lot of the time throughout the year. And um, could I fish the fly in a different way? And it's probably not the most original um, answer, but I think the Griffith snat, um, simply because it could be a midge pattern, it could almost be terrestrial, um, I could drown it, I could almost swing the fly as well in a wet fly style. So I think that would probably get me out of a jam in a lot of situations. As a guide probably, the pheasant tail nymph in various permutations has caught me many, many fish with my guests over the years, so that's a great one. And then with salmon, um, I've, I've reversed a little bit and I fish old school spay patterns actually. And I just love fishing those. And the Lady Caroline, I think, is a beautiful one. I was out in Oregon back end of or October last year, and I caught steelhead on those and just stuck with traditional spay patterns and really, really enjoyed those. That was They're just so beautiful as well. What's your favorite place to talk fly fishing? So I realize you're embedded in the industry, being a guide, having the magazine. But is there a pub in your neighborhood? Is there a club you like to frequent, a fly shop, a coffee shop? Where do you get your fix when you're not on the water? I'm very lucky my fix comes all the time. So I've just been arranging fishing for tomorrow. We've got a we got grayling. The season for grayling starts tomorrow. And a friend of mine just phoned me and said, hey, we're going to christen the season there. But um, I'm always talking to people, be it on the phone or via social media or whatever about fishing. But where our guiding business was based um, was at a um, fishing hotel that had uh, or has sorry six miles of fishing and if i had a team of guides out there was nothing like meeting them in the morning to have a cup of coffee talk about the fishing um talk about how it had been fishing those sorts of moments and that's sort of my second home so i go there a fair bit and i'm often down there as well we got a fly shop about six miles away small one where i can always go in and bum a cup of coffee as well and and just talk about stuff which is great so i'm lucky i sort of live where there's a lot of streams around here and and a few fishermen as well and it, it's great to chat to them whenever i possibly can really Let's talk sports. Um, I realize you could probably got rugby, you got football, um, cricket. What's your go-to in sports? Is there a is there a premium league team you follow, or, or where do you get that passion? Yeah, that is uh, my team. Is my soccer team is uh, West Ham, who are sometimes okay, but often not. Um, and I love actually. I thought I should mention baseball as well and I really like baseball um I've been over I've um I've seen a couple of games I've been up to Fenway 
I saw mm. Frank Thomas hit home run over the Green Monster or near the Green Monster in Boston. And I loved the Atlanta Braves in the Chipper Jones era um, and Andrew Jones and all the guys there. And I love baseball because I love cricket as well over here. They're, they're, they're different games, but it, it, they're fascinating games that they're a team game with so many individual aspects to it. And cricket's similar to that. So I think that's probably why I migrated towards baseball. So, so I really enjoy that as well when, when I can see it. I think there's similarities too in the watching of the sport because it's not like a physical, uh, overly physical sport. You're watching; it's it's an event that you're attending, and it's a different mentality watching cricket and and baseball. I find absolutely in cricket. Bear in mind some of those games go on for five days as well. Yeah, you might you, you need something cold to drink, and you need to kind of mentally prepare to just kind of chill for a while. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> What's the biggest lesson you've learned? in your fly fishing journey, Pete, if you had to take away and kind of put it in a nutshell, what does it bring to your life? Uh, it's everything. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, I think enjoy it for what it is. It's not always just about the fish. And that's one of the things we try to do with the magazine as well, that it's, it's not just about the fish, it's the places it takes us to. It's the people I've met along the way. Um, and when it comes to a fishing point of view, I think it's just take your time. Don't rush through everything, be it a spay cast, be it reading a hatch, be it watching a fish rise. Um, all of those, take your time, and enjoy every single minute of it. it it's just such a, a great pastime and we're so lucky to be able to do it, I think. And like you said at the very beginning in the introduction, the places it's taken me to from Venezuela to wherever, like you say, New Zealand, Australia, um, it's just taken me to so many amazing places that I'd never have gone to if I didn't fly fish. Before we jump into all things fly fishing culture, Mag, what's the best job you've ever had are you doing it now or is it from the guiding past where if you had to pick one job and say hey this is when i really kind of hit my stride which would it be i'm really enjoying doing what we're doing now with the magazine and we're about to have the new issue um be delivered on wednesday and it's really cool packaging it up for people and it's like christmas eve really that you're packaging them up and sending them out and then you start to hear messages from people that they're enjoying it and digging the issue um, but being a fishing guide i think probably and an instructor what i've been able to put my passion and enthusiasm across to people and see that develop so over 16 years of doing it i think being able to pass on that love of fly fishing to so many people um, has been really, really rewarding. And I hate the word legacy, but I hope there are people that I've introduced to it. And I know that I've taken some people that, you know, I was there when they caught their first stock rainbow, their first wild brown trout, their first grayling, their first salmon, their first sea trout, their first bonefish. And I've been at every moment of that person's career and uh, and it's been really cool to see that and so to pass on a love of fly fishing to people has been a really really cool thing to be able to do i think you're in a really unique position too because i think a lot of the big publications it's not always somebody that's guided or has been so embedded in the industry that's the editor-in-chief and, and actually running the show so i think 
you're probably going to come at things from a refreshing angle from a, someone that's been in the industry forever. And uh, I, I really look forward to, to reading your, your magazine. Why don't you take us down the journey of starting that? How, how did you come to start um, Fly Culture Mag? Well, it's a little bit of a, a, a it's not a long story, but um, I was fishing um, Rock Creek in Missoula, Montana. And I just caught a really nice fish. And my friend Ray came up to me and said, what are you doing? And I said, do you know what? This is about as good as it gets. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to share this experience with people? And I came home and got the ball rolling pretty quickly. And I brought uh, an online magazine or an e-zine as it was called. That was about six years ago called Eat, Sleep, Fish. And we ran it as free, not-for-profit, and we put it out monthly. So I put out, I think it was 72 issues of East Leap Fish, and we were getting lots and lots and lots of readers. We had some amazing people writing for us. Some of them went on to write for big-name magazines. Some of them uh, wrote books. And we were name checked in the books, which was really, really cool. And and we didn't take a penny out of it. We never wanted to. It was about a way to pass on a love of fly fishing. And I'd always wanted for it been in the back of my mind to bring perhaps a best of hard copy of it. Um, and things sort of went from there. And, and as we all know, the, the publishing industries, it's hard, it's difficult. Um, and... I just thought, wow, a magazine had shut down in the UK. We don't have many, and one had shut down. And I thought, I wonder if there's room for something that isn't a how-to magazine, but it it expresses our love of, of fly fishing and well-written, well-photographed, and packaged in a really nice way in, in thick quality paper, um, and it was sort of, I guess, an eat, sleep, fish plus um, when we we brought it. And we had in our first issue people like Jason Borger, who I've got to know over the years. He was in the first issue of, of Eat, Sleep, Fish, and he was in the first issue of Fly Culture. He was a great supporter, and he wrote for us and has written for us again. We've had some great people involved with it, but we, I felt that I wanted to see if we could do it. I couldn't do something monthly. Um, I couldn't. I felt if we packaged it really nicely and came at it from a different angle that people might buy into it. And that seems to be what's happening again in the UK. You know, it's seen the average age of anglers is a little bit older. And I wanted to represent the younger people out there. And I'm by that, I mean, from sort of 55 downwards, really, whereas a lot of the angling press over here is aimed more to older readers. So I wanted to represent those people and have refreshing discover new writers uh photographers and help them on the journey um and so that's how it really came about and all of a sudden i was announcing right fly cultures coming that was about two years ago now and um we're we're into that um cycle and i'm, I'm just enjoying doing it i find it really interesting when 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 people create magazines i had a gentleman on from uh, south carolina for uh, a little while back from outdoor leisure mag and he was telling me how he kind of researched the magazine and it sounds to me like you're hitting your sweet spot there because i i agree there's um 
I think in North America, that, that switch has already happened. You know, they're talking to the younger crowd, which uh, guys and gals, just outdoor, pe- people that are passionate about the outdoors. And when you start looking at who those people are, they're not always just fly fishers. They're gardeners. They're, you know, they're, they're people that enjoy hiking and canoeing. And you really, it, it's a diverse section cross-section of of the population that I think you're probably going to hit a real sweet spot over there. That's what we've tried to do. Our mantra really throughout has been, we're just like you. So we are, you know, as I said to you off mic, when I'm just in from the river, um, I've been swinging flies for salmon this morning. And that's what I want to find. We're not trying to take over the world. Um, We're an independent and fiercely independent magazine um, that I hope people will enjoy um, and find a little bit different. Um, And the feedback we seem to be getting um, seems to be pretty positive along those sorts of lines as well. And I looked when we were starting the magazine, I didn't look at the fishing market at all. I looked at the independent market of magazines because that's thriving. You, You know, you could our little magazine, but you could have something on whatever it is, you know, um, like you say, gardening or surfing or whatever, these smaller independent magazines. And that's what I looked at to see. And that marketplace seems to be thriving. And that's what we are. We're a small independent magazine. It's amazing to me when I try to um, source interviews for, for this show. I'm always looking for people's stories. And I find a lot of times... I'll get somebody's story first and I'll be like, hey, um, you ever fly fish? And then it's like, oh, I love it. I'm out there all the time. You had no idea that the person you were talking to also did that. And then there's so many ways you can come with that. You never run out of, uh, never run out of details. Yeah, ours, we, we, we tried not to because I think the problem being, and I don't know how people put a magazine out monthly, that must be really difficult. And they have my utmost respect for that because that's a difficult job. But I think you could easily recycle stuff and so not and by that what i mean is how to's or trying to reinvent the wheel and and often that does happen as well but what we've tried to do is steer clear of how to's so it is about you know that trip that day with people on the water it might be you know in this one we've got somebody fishing out nick yardley in vermont um, fishing brook trout right up in the, the high country there. We've got Golden Dorado. Um, we've got sea trout in South America, yet still talking about, you know, fishing trips in the UK and beyond there as well. So we what we try and do is mix it up. And my idea with the magazine is that you don't have people contributing every single issue. So that what I always wanted was that a magazine that people, when it turns up, they don't know what they're going to get and that's what i've tried to do with that and always mix it up and always make it a little bit different so as editor-in-chief of, of fly culture magazine the hardest issue is it the first one or is it the next one i think that's a great question i think it's probably the second one and it's like the second album syndrome i suppose um and the first one the support we had for it was amazing and i was totally blown away i didn't think you know anyone would would buy it and i think because of eat sleep fish and the goodwill of that and having been around the industry for a while people trusted me um i'm a really straight up guy and and people trusted what i was trying to do and that was amazing and you're sort of finding your way 
as you go. But I was really happy with how the first one looked and it was completely different. And we're really finding an identity. And our designer, John Ogborn, is just fantastic how he works and makes what I send to him look so fantastic. And we've, we've really got a sense of identity and a confidence with how the product looks, but more importantly, how it reads as well. So, you know, we've got great writers um, involved with it and the photography as well. And, and, and we don't have, you know, I don't even have an editorial. It's just a few simple lines at the beginning of what fishing means to us. And um, that's what we're trying to, to, to push that, that we're just like you really. That's a really good analogy. I always, I used to be in, in the radio business in another lifetime, but um, you got your whole life to build that first album. But then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, now I got to do this. I got to redo this and do it better each and every time. And there's got to be a little bit of pressure involved that you probably put on yourself, I would imagine. Yeah, there definitely is. And, you know, the second one, I'm thinking, right, okay, I have those great pieces for the first one. And, you know, it's a quarterly publication. So we only have four issues. Um, but I was right, okay, we're we going to find content for the next one. And I, I chased that down. Now I've got a really nice rhythm with it that I give the designer a month to design it as well. So I put it together. I find the the uh, contributors. It's great that people are coming to us now, um, which is really, really thrilling that, you know, I can, I've got a, a catalog of stuff that I can choose and and feel a rhythm for each issue. Um, so that's been really, really um, great to be able to do that. And now I've got, right, okay, the next one we're about to publish, but I've already started, I've, I've done about 50 pages of the next one already. So I'm really prepared. And the, the key thing for me is to have the really good content um, and then make sure it's it's curated really well in the the magazine itself. And there is a little bit of pressure, but I kind of like that, and it keeps you on the ball. And and it's nice that word gets out. We're not shouting. We're not buying market share. We're just quietly sort of trying to let people know we exist. That's the hardest thing, even despite social media, is letting people know you actually exist and are out there. Something I really love doing, Pete, is. Uh heading into a new fly shop and i was in one in seattle a while back obviously before all this uh non-traveling stuff uh happened with uh covid but they had every just about every single fly fishing magazine i'd ever heard of and a lot that i never had so if somebody is in north america or if somebody's in spain or how do they how do they get your magazine in their shop where do they find you well um we can we sell it in the uk there's two stores follows and sportfish and we have our one other store is you may even know it oscar's tackling smithers um on the bulkley there and i was okay. fishing out there a couple of years ago and um popped in and spoke to alex and showed him the magazine and he takes it he's been a great supporter of ours and the rest is online. So we've sold copies. We sell quite a lot out to the, the US. We ship worldwide, but we buy, uh, we deliver from our website, basically. So the orders, we've just put it on pre-order at the moment, and that will go, you know, people are starting to put orders in actually today since we've announced it as well. We have subscribers from the US and further on, North America generally, even down to Australia. So people find us that way, and we deliver that 
um, down to them, basically. So it would be kind of cool to get it in some stores in North America in some way, shape or form. It's the logistics of it, but it's it's great having tried it with Oscars and, and how good they've been. But do you know Oscars? i uh, be honest with you, I don't. No. I have not fished that system. It's on, my, it's on my bucket list and it's in my backyard, which is kind of embarrassing to say, but... <laughs> Uh, it's like anything, you know, you, there's, there's literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bodies that still water between here and there. And that's where I primarily spend my time. But, uh, chasing steelies and up in, uh, in that neck of the woods is definitely, uh, I hope to do it soon. <laughs> so if you had to take a takeaway from, since you started this process of, uh, the magazine, fly culture magazine, a couple years back, What's your biggest takeaway in in building this brand, building this? Uh, something must come to mind that you've really learned along the way doing this. We it, there's lots of things I've learned um, along the line here, and it's been really, really an enjoyable process as well. But um, I think when I started it, I thought we need a unique selling point. What is going to be our unique selling point to our readers? So what I decided was that we would have no adverts. So we would be 100% content. And even that content wouldn't be advertorial. And what I mean by advertorial is that it wouldn't be, you know, somebody talking about a lodge here that had been on a free trip or whatever it is, all of the, the stories. And we've got, as I said, one from golden dorado coming up these are just guys who went on a trip and wanted to share that story so what that allows us to be is really independent so we can say whatever we want to say however we want to say it but that was our our thing to say we're a hundred percent content we're a hundred percent um, independent and we have zero adverts as well so we're giving just content away and pack packaging it really nicely I've become a paper geek since I've done this thing and we use thick 300 GSM for the cover which is really thick um, paper as well and 130 for the pages which if there are fellow paper geeks out there they'll they'll know how thick that is so it's really more of a journal than a magazine really yeah, so my favorite magazine, hands down, is uh, Fly Fishing Journal, and it's I like the way they do it. It's very, like you say, it's real. You feel like you almost are opening a book. It's very, um, you know, the quality of the paper and the. I love what you're doing with the content, though. Hundred percent content. I've not heard of that, and I would imagine one of the cool things about that is okay. So if somebody does an article. I always find that once you start any type of media, you can be swayed, you can be influenced. So this big rod company wants you to push this or, and all of a sudden, if you can stay independent, yeah, I think you have so much integrity. Does that make that's sense? What, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we've tried to do. And via our website, we give content. So I've just done a re real review for our website. So what we try and do as well is give our readers, even if they don't want to listen to, um, they don't want to buy the magazine, sorry. Um, they got other content on our website that they can look at our social media. I try and post stuff up. I write short essays, bits and pieces like that, just to, 
to let people know we're there. But but yes, integrity has been really, really important to us. And the, the worry for me, being brutally honest as well, is that advertising revenues are down. And just imagine, say I had six pages of adverts and those those companies, whoever they may be, um, say we're not going to advertise anymore. All of a sudden I've lost six pages and I've lost advertising as well. So I, I really wanted to to have no advertising. As a result of that, I charge a little bit more for it. But that's to say, look, I'm going to charge you a little bit more, but you're going to get content and it's going to be um, content that is not influenced in any way, shape or form. It's just from people who, like I've been saying, feel the same way as you do about fly fishing. I think media is very much going that way, though. Think, think uh, five years ago, you'd, you'd watch television and there'd be commercial, commercial, commercial. Now it's Netflix. It's people are watching what they want to watch without the the ads. And and to be quite honest, if I hit a commercial on anything now, I, I just kind of get all, I just glaze over it. So I think people are willing to pay for content. I think it's a great, um, I like the way you're mapping this out. Yeah, it was a, an interesting route. And I know a friend of mine who's sort of uh, involved with it, Brett, said, you're going to do what? When I said to him, we're not going to have adverts. And I'm pleased we've done that. And that gives us that sort of breathing space that we don't need to worry about that. Um, and so we can concentrate on content and that allows us to pay our contributors as well. Um, so it's really, really um a nice way to actually do it and you know it goes back into the magazine we're not trying to be millionaires and sell this to anyone along the way it's just simply that we can continue printing it people enjoy it and as long as they do and as long as people are buying it we'll just keep putting it out there i'm going to ask you pete to put your artist hat on for a second and Describe your perfect day on the water. Um, I don't know if that's on the River Ta, in, basically in your backyard. Um, paint a picture for us. Kind of walk us through that. What, what kind of fish are you chasing? How are you fishing? Um, describe that for us. Sure. Um, I do love fishing in North America. I've loved, I was out in Oregon steelheading um, uh, last year, I, the year before I was in BC and I, I love that. And I feel a real affinity to fishing in North America and, and particular, I love Missoula in Montana as well. The fishing there, if my lottery numbers came up. That would probably be the place that I would probably, um, spend a bit more time, but my hope, my home water. And I think many people probably feel the same about their home water. My, my river, the tour, um, is a freestone river. Um, it's not a big name river. It's an honest river. The trout are, we have trout in there, brown trout, wild brown trout. We have ocean run sea trout, uh, brown trout or sea trout as we call them. And we have a run of salmon and the salmon to put things in perspective, you know, I was fishing the Deschutes and the guys saying, well, the fishing's a little bit tough. And I said, well, you know, we have a whole run of caught salmon we only fly fish the the whole of the tour system for for salmon the whole catch last year was 98 fish um which is pretty small a good year is 300 that doesn't stop me enjoying it though it's just that moment and those hours that we put in for that moment that line goes tight is worth every single second of that so we've had as i said earlier we've had some rain it's been a really, really dry 
um, spring and coming into summer as well. And so salmon fishing has been pretty much non-existent. But yesterday was a great example that, you know, my wife and I got up and said, well, should we give it a go? And we'll have some coffee, have something to eat, put the dog in the car as well. We got a black lab called um, Montana or Monty as as we call Mm -hmm. him. He comes down. He's just the most awesome fishing dog that will step down a pool with you. Uh, He knows, even if I reel when I finish swinging a fly on a run, um, when I start reeling in, he thinks, well, something's happening. You know, I can hear it and he's ears perk up. Um, And he's great company as well. We'll fish a few pools. We'll sit down. We'll talk. Um, we'll change things up a little bit and play around there. And, and that aspect of it is really, really good fun. Still the tour, though, for me, you know, where we'd had no water, the trout fishing, the, the, the fishings, the, our fishing, um, the trout aren't big. It's quite an acidic river, our one. So that's why we get a run of uh, ocean run brown trout because it can't sustain that population of fish so that we have those um, fish coming in so the trout aren't big um, generally for the west country where i live devon's in the southwest of the country uh, we have lots of streams here that are very acidic runoff high high um, country and they're not big they're sort of eight to 12 inches good honest fish you generally fish the water for them and they're great fun. They're absolutely fantastic. But coming back to what you were asking me about and where I was saying about taking time, the, the hatches this year have been fantastic. We get a green drake hatch, um, or we call it just the mayfly. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a little bit of a disappointment. But the hatches generally have been really, really good. And just targeting rising fish with a dry fly has been amazing. And I've had some fantastic trout this year i've been putting on my facebook and other places so the some of the fish that we've been catching and just enjoying that getting the bamboo rods out but my love is my home river as many people is is the river tour and i just think it's a fabulous little stream and and great fun we fish double handers for salmon um so um spay casting as well is just fantastic and you know i've had a three hours four hours of spay casting practice this morning with the outside chance of a salmon but it didn't didn't happen um this morning sadly <laughs> that's a pretty good picture i and i have seen some of your videos and uh i can tell you've uh been spay casting a long time and it's uh, it's not something that i'm actually familiar with at all i'm just single-handed kind of old school but uh i would imagine that probably helps you out a lot when you're fishing uh big steelhead rivers out west definitely without a shadow of a doubt and it's been there's a nice story a good friend and well-known um uh spay angler over there simon gorsworth comes from the same neck of the woods as where i live now um, so we'd fished similar streams before he um, moved over to Idaho and now subsequently in Washington with Rio. And so he sort of took a lot of what he'd been doing on the, the UK rivers, along with people like Andy Murray and, and lots of other people as well who were spay casting over at the spay claves and things. And it's been great, you know, the, the certainly the Deschutes as well when I was fishing that. One question that I uh, I haven't asked my guests in a long time, and I, I used to ask it in every episode, is there anything weird or wonderful that's happened to you in your time on the water? Everyone's got that bizarre fishing story or 
you won't believe this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway kind of thing. <laughs> Is there anything that uh, has happened to you out there that's quite memorable you'd like to share? I've got some uh, off the top of my head. You know, I've got so many guiding stories and bits and pieces like that. Uh, but there was a lovely one that I guided a couple and I'd done a week on the chalk streams with them. And then they came down to Devon and did a week with me there. And they were quite high maintenance, really, really nice people, good anglers. And it was the last day. So I've been guiding them nine and a half days and we had lunch. And I said, do you think there's anything I could do to improve my business? And they said, um, no, just keep doing what you're doing. And I felt like a million dollars because it had been, you know, the fishing had been in parts difficult, but we'd caught fish and I'd worked really hard for them. And we were fishing up in the high country and I'd put their rods on my rod rack and we were driving. It was the last afternoon and we were driving to the last bit of river we were going to fish and the rods fell off the rod rack the rods <laughs> and apparently the wife heard me running back to them saying please don't be broken please don't be broken and i'd gone from hero to zero in one one foul swoop <laughs> they were fine i managed to get everything i pulled some strings and i got everything um sorted out for them on warranties and everything else and the relationship grew from there i actually went they went out to belize and I helped go. They said, we want you to come with us. So we had a obviously a, a local guide as well, but they wanted me to stand at the front of the boat and help spot the fish. And I pulled the boat a little bit and they'd never been saltwater fishing in their lives. And within two hours, they both caught permit, which was an amazing wow. story. So the, the relationship from that horrific moment carried on and it, it went really well but that was one of those moments when you think everything couldn't have been better and then I just went horrifically wrong so um that was that was uh, one of those that I can re remember really well and I still laugh about that and tell many people about that how often in your life Pete do when you guide somebody do they actually become part of your life? Do they actually become friends? Is, is that a fairly common thing? Well, it's funny. The, the chap Perry, who um, I was telling you about, who's the guitarist, and I d had no idea. He just booked me. But it turned out we came from the same neck of the woods. We knew the same people. And he'd booked me for a half day. And I said, man, come on, we got to fish. And that's been it ever since. And four or five, however many years it is, years later, we talk nearly every day. We text each other. If um, And the, there are so many relationships like that. And there was a group I took down to Montana to fish. Um, they were all people I guided. And it's been really nice that we had a great trip. But they still all see each other as well. And I love trying to connect anglers with anglers. And locally, I've done that. And I've put groups of people together that I thought would get on well. And they all go fishing together. And these guys I took down to Montana, they've been to uh, Slovenia, they've been Spain, they've been to other places fishing together as a group as a result of that. So that's a really cool thing to do. But th there are many that, that have become friends and not being a guide anymore now is kind of fun to be able to catch up with them. But the interesting thing out of that is that 
where I'm used to standing next to people all the time, I'm actually really enjoying fishing on my own. And today was a perfect example. And I, I talked to my dog as we go down the run and, and everything else. And he wades with me when we trout fish as well. And, and it's been really that aspect of it actually being, if I can use the term, I guess, really a little bit selfish and, and getting the mm. chance to fish the pools and the hatches that I've not had many chances to do myself, which has been really, really cool. Well, that's, that's a good point. I think as a guide, I could see why you would appreciate that so much. I think it's a totally different experience than the average person. Like once you're, once you're in it, you don't look at it the same way. So as, as you said, I could picture you standing beside somebody trying to put them on fish, but I don't think there's anything selfish about that at all. You basically want to enjoy the river the way you want to enjoy it. Absolutely. And the, the really nice thing has been not having to have the answer for everything. I'd love to have the answer for salmon fishing and I have thoughts on it. Um, but not having to have that answer is, is really cool. I only have to answer to the dog or the fish really. And that's kind of cool. I, I, I'm really enjoying that aspect of it as well. Although, you know, I love trying to figure out what might work. Do I need to get that longer drag free drift? Do I need to mend the line? Shouldn't I mend the line? Should I change the fly? So once you're a guide, I think once you're in it, and I'm sure guides listening will know that, that you never really, even now that I'm not doing it, you never really switch off and you make those changes probably more quickly than just going through the motions is probably the wrong phrase but you know I'll, I'll ring those changes really really quickly and and perry and i were fishing the other day and the fish were taking in a really strange way and he'd set up on fish and they didn't stick and i said i just think it's the way they're taking it yeah i don't think he's saying what am i doing wrong and i said nothing i think it's just the way they're taking them and that was where i flipped back to feeling like i was a guide again it was really interesting seeing that <laughs> That I get a kick out of that because th the thing I love about fly fishing is you make it yours. You make it the experience you want to be. So what I mean by that is I, f I fly fish with quite a, f a few different people, but um, my one good buddy, Steve, I go out with all the time. And to be quite honest, I hate fishing on my own. Like I, cause I'm coming at it from the other point of view. I want it to be a social thing. Once in a while, I'll peel off and, and, and head to the other side of the lake just to get some quiet time. But I, I like it when you're both getting into fish and you're both, you're both kind of, you can figure it out quicker because you're trying different patterns. You're hitting different zones in the water column. You're trying different shoals. And for me, that's, that's when I love fishing, when, it, when it's social and and you're both dialed in i don't think it gets any better than that absolutely it really you know and choosing a, a fishing friend is a really it's not a straightforward process as far as i'm concerned anyway because like you say it's it's you want somebody or i do anyway my personal view is i don't want somebody competitive because i fish because it's not competitive that's what i love about it and you're equally as pleased when your friend catches a fish that's really important um, to me mm. and you know when to share them the friend Gerald I'm fishing with tomorrow we're going to go and try catch some we're going to go and do some nymphing see if we can find some grayling and I know fishing with him for example that we take it in turns so it's not anyone will if we share a pool he might have first go then he'll say well I can't 
get them here. Why don't you have a go? And things like that are really, really important. I've seen it when I've guided groups of friends or two friends, that one doesn't like it when the other one's called a fish. And you, you sort of kind of try and work to assess that balance and the competitive, competitive aspect of it and try and readdress that for them as well but for me i want somebody who's just enjoying it we sit down and chat for a bit or we say go on you have a go or you have a go and sometimes we'll spend 10 minutes saying no you go first no you go first and it's all very very british that <laughs> that's canadian too yeah. and then we apologize yes. for it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that's the number one canadian yeah. word sorry yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that's funny uh yeah that's that's well put hey um I want to ask you kind of a philosophical question, Pete. If there's something you could change about the pastime of fly fishing, is there anything you'd like to see us do differently or, or maybe you think we could do better? Um, it's an interesting one. I'm trying not to go down the social media thing. I, I think for me, what we've tried to do in the magazine actually is have no grip and grins. Um, and I, I, we have all the fish photographed in the water um, we don't have anyone sort of holding those fish up in the in the air and stuff like that. And we try and push that a little bit more. Um, I think I would like to see social media show everything about the day, not the end product. Um, and so many people are doing so many great things, but sometimes it's not, I've got to get a photo of this fish to catch as many likes as I possibly can. Um, but about what about nice landscapes? What about everything else? What about the day that doesn't go so well? And we're again with the magazine, we're honest about stuff like that. When we get our, our backsides kicked by the fish, which, you know, if I'm salmon fishing down here, it happens a lot to me, but we're honest about it and showing those things. And I know I've been lucky enough to fish with some of the best in the business. Everyone gets tangled. Everyone gets caught in a tree and showing those things, warts and all, I think would be a really, really cool thing to be able to do, I have to say. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean by that. Because I, I, one thing I do find with social media, it's like everybody is expecting that next eight pound brown. And they think that's the reality is you're catching 10, 12 inches. They're pretty too. And just the way that social media gets shaped, you don't get the full picture ever. And I think, uh, you know, it sounds to me like Fly Culture Magazine's coming at that from a, a different angle. Yeah, that's what we try and do. And we keep in the back of the magazine, we have the keep and wet principles. And, 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 you know, it comes back to what we were saying, I guess, that we don't want it to be about just the fish. You know, I'm more interested in what did you do beforehand? Who were you fishing with? Um, was the coffee good? Did you have breakfast before? You know, we go out when we winter grayling fish, we sit there and we, we meet and have breakfast somewhere. And some we look at our watches, it's like quarter past 10, having met at eight o'clock and somebody will say, <laughs> should we go? And should we go fishing? And, and that's part of it to me. It's everything that goes with it. And the friendships are really, really important to me be it with your wife, be it with your partner, be it with whoever, the friends, your dog. Um, those parts of it are equally as interesting. And again, on my social media, I try and put, I put so many pictures of the dog up there as well. And there might be situations where I've caught bigger fish that I've not put the fish up because I don't want to just be about 
a nice fish you know it is about a little bit more than that and that's what i've always tried to do with these things and and with the magazine as well so that ethos comes through with it and it is nice you know i love seeing those pictures of beautiful steelhead or salmon or beautiful brown trout and the skill of people who have caught those things but it's also cool to see where they're where they're doing it, where they're fishing, what happened, you know, and, and everything else. And that, that's what we try and include in, in the magazine and, and in the way that I look at fishing too. Well, you hit that on the head perfectly for me because it's, yes, the fishing, the fishing, in, if I had to say the fishing is 60% of it for me, but it's the ride in the truck. It's, and that's why I like to ask, what do you listen to on your way, way to the water? What, like, how does that look? You know, when the sun's starting to come up, you're getting, I'll probably go through a drive through somewhere for a coffee, just trying to wake up, but then catching up with that buddy on the way to the lake or to the river, talking about that anticipation. I think that's something that we kind of, um, sometimes overlook in fishing. It's that journey getting there and that eagerness that you're thinking, you can't wait to hit the water, but you're like, what is this day going to bring? It's the not knowing that makes it so enjoyable. That's what I love about it so much. And, you know, I've been doing this many, many years and I still don't sleep the night before. If I've got a, a really cool trip on, I'll be excited about the grayling tomorrow. And I still love it. That fire, I think we're lucky with fly fishing that there's so many aspects and avenues that we can go down that continually keeps it fresh be it tying be it build your own rod be it tying your own leaders be it whatever it might be but there's always something that you can make it find interesting and you never tire of it I, I can just never tire of it and that's somebody who's been deeply immersed in it for 16 well uh, 17 years now and i still love it as much probably more so now that i'm able to fish a little bit more myself but i probably more love it more than i ever have to be honest i think there's an evolution process there too right because when you first get into it you just want to get that fly wet you want to get out get out get out but then i think the the more we do it, the more we appreciate the experience. Do you do a lot of tying yourself? I do some. I, I used to tie uh, during the lockdown that we've had. You know, I I managed not to tie one fly, um, which I'm really proud of. And I saw, again, on social media, people tying thousands and thousands of beautiful, beautiful flies. Mine are rustic guide flies. And the guides listening will know exactly what that is, is that they'll do the job, but they're expendable. So if they get lost in the tree, it doesn't matter. So, um, you know, there'd be times where I'd come home and, and you know, a particular fly would be working that I'd quickly tie some up. Um, but I would describe my fly dressing as rustic more than anything else. But they seem to work okay, the flies. Yeah, I'm the same way. There's there's so many amazing, amazing tires. But the the truth is, you don't have to be the most talented tire in the world to catch fish. It just needs to uh, vaguely represent that that insect. Let's talk about entomology. Is is that something you've learned a lot about over 17 years worth of fly fishing, or is this something that you uh, are still continuing to kind of immerse yourself in? I think it's one of those things that you can continually to continually learn about. I'm sort of kind of, you know, I can get a very, very good understanding quickly of what's hatching and the times of the hatches and everything else. Um, I, I know the Latin names of quite a few of the bugs as well, but I try and keep it really, really simple. You know, 
this morning at, uh, while I was getting my backside kicked by the salmon, there was a beautiful blue winged olive hatch. And I remember thinking to myself, size 18 blue winged olive, that will be the fly right now. And I stuck with the salmon and I probably could have had a good morning on the trout. I thought this is my one little window that's rapidly closing as the river's dropping. But being able to spot those bugs pretty quickly. Um, and it comes back to when you were asking me about flies, you know, midges are usually the, the, the fly if you're struggling to work out what the fish are feeding on. It's usually something small and it's usually black and it's usually a midge. And that's usually how you can get yourself out of a, a, a mix. Um, but watching what's going on, and that comes back again to taking a little bit of time and saying, right, okay, what's hatching? I love spotting a masked hatch where you think it's blue-winged olives and they're taking something else. That's a real, as a guide, that's a real thrill, calling that change quickly and spotting that change. But being aware, you know, how caddis look on the water and how they stay above the water, certainly the ones we have here, stay above the water, they look like moths. So even to a beginner, I can point those things out to them so they've got an idea of what it is and if it's a, one of the mayflies how they look different um be it a dun be it a spinner um and being able to spot those things so i i think you can l always learn and that's a, again one of the great things about it but i don't don't want to be bogged down in being right that's the latin name here you need to learn that is it a caddis? Is it a tan one? What size is it? And if you can spot those things, I think you can probably catch fish. And looking at the rice forms as well, how the fish taking the flies. And if you're looking at those things and you can spot those things, then it's pretty pretty straightforward to do, I think. Yeah, that, that's something we don't talk about a lot. It really hones your observation skills. So you, you may see caddis coming off, but are they taking the adults? Are they taking the emergers? You know you know something too that i i find in in my area and and you might find this in your neck of the woods too pete but it's all about the water temperature usually right so when these these insects are popping it's it's fairly predictable if you start looking at the trends like i know when the balsam root sunflowers are flowering and i'm driving to a certain lake i know that the chronomids i know those midges are going to be emerging when the saskatoon berries are flowering i know the mayflies are popping and the only reason i know that is because I've seen it for 40 years and I've, it's just kind of in your DNA after a while. I don't need to think about it. You just know, okay, this is going to be a caddis day. Guess what? we got a full moon in July and uh, those caddis are going to be popping. So maybe speak to that, your observation skills. Is there something that you really notice when you're, you're fishing these hatches, like nature-wise? Um, I'll watch, like you say, how the fish are moving to the fly, what state of it. And I don't know, we have particularly, you know, caddis leave the water pretty quickly. Um, and our first hatch of the year, the granum, you're, you're going to fish an emerger more than the, the adult um, because they leave the water so quickly. So I'm looking at that. I'm looking, is it a splashy rise to a dun of a mayfly? Is it those sorts of things? Um, there are, we've got a, a plant called a foxglove. So when the foxglove starts to come out, that's usually a sign that the sea trout, the ocean run browns are starting to come up the river as well. Um, so they're starting to come out now. And it is, like you say, silly little things when the bird, you know, I, I watch the uh, yellow hammers and dippers 
um, lining up for the big green drake we have. They're getting ready for the hatch to get going and watching all those things. And being a guide, it was really cool to be able to point those things out to people and say, look, this is these guys are queuing up for it. It's about to happen now. And so you can see those signs. And like you say, it's it's experience and years on the water that allow you to see those things. And it's almost second nature isn't it? It, it you know where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing you just you took I, I did spend some time in england as a little guy and just you just took me back to on a journey when you said foxgloves that just reminds me of walking through the field behind our place and there was always you'd go through the gate and those foxgloves are everywhere in, in your area aren't they there's many of them and they're just starting to, i'm just looking at one now through the window actually and it's about half out um, and funnily enough, you know, the sea trout, I was expecting, because they'll have a go at the salmon fly, and I was expecting, I was saying to someone on the, the phone when I got back, actually, I said I was expecting a sea trout to come have a look, and it didn't, and I was a bit surprised. So perhaps they're waiting for the foxgloves to flower um, 100% rather than 50%. Nature's always honest, you know. It's, it's not always predictable, but you kind of, you pick your windows, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting what you were saying about the water temperature and stuff and, you know, how that had stayed cooler and where the fish were sitting in the glides of pools, the trout were sitting in glides of pools, and I wasn't picking up any fish at all in, in the heads of pools, the riffles, the broken water. Um, and that was really interesting to spot those things. And I love knowing, right, okay, this – this is where we need to be for these fish. Uh, and and that's part of that experience, I guess. And even when you step in the water, you feel the temperature. And it may be sometimes I go to one river one day and one river another, another, sorry. And you say, well, this, and I'll say to a friend, oh, this feels a little bit cooler here. And it's not a thermometer. I don't carry one. I should do. Um, but I'm because I'm going fishing, I'm going fishing. So I'm not going to not fish because of a water temp or what my thermometer says. I adjust my techniques to what those conditions tell me that I should fish, I guess. Do you keep a, a journal, Pete? Is it, do you take you know notes after a, a day on the water, or is it just kind of uh, mental notes? I've tried really hard, and I'm shambolic at uh, those sorts of things. I'm really bad at it. And I, we try and keep a salmon one. I tried. I stuck at it last year and, and took water temperatures. I took how we fished. Um, now it's just, right, we caught a salmon on that day. And, you know, I didn't know... Um, the last, not this year because we were in lockdown, the last two years, um, I'd caught salmon on the 12th of April. And I had no idea that was a significant date other than when I looked through my Instagram feed and saw that there were pictures because I had to put in a catch return um, for my fishing license and I couldn't remember what the dates were. So I've tried and the people who keep detailed um, journals have my utmost respect. I kind of have this thing in my head that when I'm not old enough to fish, that I can sit in a chair somewhere, close my eyes and take myself to the river tour and remember one of those days. And, you know, it's when I was guiding on, because I meet so many people, I couldn't remember names all of the time, but I could remember where they bloody caught fish. You know, <laughs> that was the funny thing about it. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. I'm uh, I'm running out of questions, and that doesn't happen too often. I could talk to you all day. Um, 
talk about the quarter talk about the release of your of your magazine so it's quarterly so what months does it does it come out yeah we put the magazine out to time it with fishing seasons more here i guess so we have um spring which usually comes out in march um summer which will be june autumn in september when the season ends here and then winter when we're grayling fishing usually just before christmas so hopefully that ties in with what people are doing you know winter time over here well pike fishing over here is getting it's been sort of in the background for quite some time now um but pike fishing and, and usually grayling fishing as well that people are doing that so i try and time it for those occasions so that it comes out um when you know people are thinking about their season starting when it's well underway when it's coming to an end and and when we're fishing through the winter so a fly culture magazine that's out in june here uh what can we look for um maybe talk about this sure uh, we've got a real mixture of stuff we've got um what i've i've got some uh we kick off with a great piece with a guy and it was written during the lockdown and it was about the guy sort of mentally taking himself setting a coffee in the morning and mentally taking himself to his home river to catch a um, trout where where he thought this trout had been before. And so we kick off with that. We have um, a couple of ladies or a lady Trish, sorry, who um, lives out in New Mexico. And she talks about a fishing trip with a friend of hers where um, they have a, an amazing trip. I think it's the San Juan. I can't remember now off the top of my head we've got a guy who's written about growing up on the spay and going back to spay uh, fish the spay which was really really interesting uh we've got about a guy who went down south america to chase sea trout um down there which sounds absolutely amazing and the fish there phenomenally strong um big um, and that's beautifully photographed as well. Uh, we have, I'm trying to think now, with some guys who went to fish the Golden Dorado in South America, which sounds, again, an amazing trip down there. Uh, we have a, a guy just talking about people he meets on the river. And it is, you know, just sort of quirky, offbeat sort of pieces. Um, I'm trying to think now. We have about 15 or 16 pieces in each in each issue basically um so that's a sort of a, a rough off the top of my head sort of thing it's funny because this one's about to come out i'm already working on the next one um so it's kind of interesting to i'm trying to remember yeah. what i've done while i'm sort of looking ahead now so i guess as an editor you're always looking ahead really i get that i'm a, a winemaker by trade so the wines that are out in the public you know we let those once they go to bottle they you know, you, you wave goodbye to them and they're gone. And, and, and so you're working with the current vintage. It's very similar. I would imagine that way. It's uh, sometimes you have to, you have to look back to, to be in the present, to, to be able to speak to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talking of wine, actually, I, when I was in Oregon, I didn't realize there was a lot of wine out there and, um, oh, yeah. I brought some back. I can't remember what it was now. And that was really, really, I bought some for my wife and it was really, really good. They they make some amazing uh, pinots, uh, pinot noir yeah. uh, specifically, pinot gris. Um, yeah, it's uh, 
one thing I do with this podcast, and I, I'm, I want to ask if you kind of do that with the magazine as well, is I try to kind of bounce around. So I don't want to have like three people from Montana week to week to week. I, I try to go out to South Carolina, then to Florida, then to Alaska, then over over the pond to, to chat with you in the UK. Um, with the magazine, I, I realize it's probably UK-centric because that's where you're based, but speak to that a little bit. Do you try to move it around, say an article in, in North America, then one in Spain? What does that look like for you, the way you kind of lay it out? Yeah, it's really, the, the way I look at it is I look at it when somebody submits an article the first thing I do is go by gut. So I think, A, would I enjoy reading it? Have I enjoyed reading it? And then secondly, would my readers enjoy reading it? That's the key thing for me. I just want people, and I think if I read it as a fisherman, did that grab me? And that's the first thing that I tend to look for. And that's the first thing that I I think, does it grab me? Then from there, we might think about editing and it's a collaborative process so it may be somebody has sent something and said well look that was really cool how about though if we took it just have you thought about taking it this way a little bit and and working it that way and then um building it from there so that's how we tend to do it and then when i put the magazine together um i have 100 pages to fill and i even when i've got everything in place i think about the rhythm of it so I think about um, how does that article go with the next one? How does it go with the next one? And how does it go with the next one? And having done editing East Sleep Fish for six years, it was a really good way to learn. And that was monthly as well. Um, that was a really good way to learn about that and dealing with um, uh, with contributors as well. And so I work closely with them. And we try and not over-edit things as well. Obviously, there will be things that we we need to change, um, but we work with them, and it's a really collaborative process because it's their work, and I want the piece that we publish to be as near as close to what they sent as possible. And if we've helped make it a little bit better, that's great, but I'd rather it were true and honest um, in how it reads and, and, you know, we do our best to, to help people with that process. Um, but I kind of like, you know, the, the quality of, of uh, articles I've been amazed by and I've had some wonderful people write, um, for me, um, that are just, I'm in awe of as, as writers and think they're absolutely fantastic. Well, congratulations, because your your magazine oozes integrity. It really does. And, and I love the 100% content thing. Before we tell people how they can uh, get a subscription, where they find it, put all your social media handles out there, if you don't mind. Where are you on Instagram and Facebook and all so that? So on Instagram, we're Fly Culture Magazine. We're on Twitter. Um, that's Fly Culture. I think it's ESF um e-zine because we kept we couldn't merge the two and we had quite a big following on twitter but if you look for fly culture on there on facebook fly culture um as well uh, fly culture magazine sorry we're on all of those as well i keep them updated as much as i i possibly can for people so that they can enjoy content and and via the website as well as i said i try and add content there um, whenever i can as well We've been chatting today with Pete Tigess from Devon, UK. You can probably find him uh, 
Well, probably on the River Taw with his Black Lab Monty, his fishing partner, Emma. Thanks so much, Pete, for taking the time. I really enjoyed this conversation. Mark, thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope I haven't bored people by talking too long. One thing I forgot to mention as well was the website for the magazine, which is flyculturemag.com as well. But thank you. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for great questions. And, and hopefully your, your listeners will find this interesting. Cheers. Have a great season on the water. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.